It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Hey, thanks for a good show, guys. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to CNBC special coverage of these volatile markets. I'm Carl Katzenier at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer's at CNBC Global Headquarters. Faber is going to join us later this hour. Uh, whips off futures as a stimulus package is in front of the Senate. President guides us to hunker down for 15 days. Lots of news on test kits and potential therapeutics. Europe's down about a percent and oil is steady. Speaking of volatility, here's a look at the roller coaster ride that futures have taken since yesterday's 3,000 point drop. Jim, you've never been a huge fan of futures, but you think they are especially irrelevant now. Right. I mean, these are uh, fraught. I, I think that people look at these. And I got up at three. Boy, the market looked great. It was like a bull market. It was take, going to take up, you know, we make up half of what we lost yesterday. Then I go work out and come back and we're down. We're going to start losing a lot of what we even tried to gain uh, midday yesterday before the fall part in the last hour with the press conference. So, Let's just stay focused on the individual stocks. I know individual stocks are all being brought down by the indices. The great opportunities, and yes, I'm willing to use that word, uh, come from the uh, obliteration of the futures. Meanwhile, there are companies that are actually doing well. Obviously, the companies are doing quite poorly, and we'll go over both. Uh, But there there are going to be opportunities today because there's a lot to give up. Yeah, I want to I want to get uh, I've got a lot of specific questions for you this morning. I know you got Regeneron tonight. And right. in terms of signs of hope, whether it's test kits on uh, from Roche, uh, therapeutics, you heard uh, Gottlieb a moment ago talking about those three things, test, therapeutics, vaccines. Um, we are starting to see obviously very early signs of progress. Absolutely. And you, you take a look at tests. Last night we had just an absolutely terrific uh, interchange with Mark Casper from Thermo Fisher. They're going to have five million Five million tests available next week. Five million test kits. I mean, you can imagine that's up from nothing just a couple of weeks ago. So I thought that was very heartening. You know, you Lynch Lifer reached out with me, and I'm going to have George Yankopoulos, Dr. Yankopoulos on tonight. They were the guys who, believe it or not, solved Ebola. We don't talk about the people who have been through, and this is a second rodeo, not the first. They have something both therapeutic, people who are sick, and also for something that's preventative. It's far ahead of where I thought. We're going to talk about the immediate term. We also have a new narrative, Carl, that I think is very exciting, which is the public-private partnership. And we're going to have two executives on today talking about that. Uh, Bill McDermott from ServiceNow, late of SAP, and Chuck Robbins from Cisco. So big business is getting there. I just got an announcement from, from uh, Facebook. Cheryl Sandberg going to be on Mad Money tonight talking about uh, $1 million to help 30,000 small businesses here in, in 30 countries. This is what has to happen. We're all waiting for the uh, Federal, Cha- Federal Reserve Chairman. We're all waiting for Secretary Mnuchin. But America is not waiting for these people. America is waiting uh, for no one. And the companies are starting to help everybody. I think that's a major theme in order to be able to get us through this morale. We can't just count on the government. The government, yes, we need that money, and they're going to get it to us yep. in some form. But I like the fact that a Facebook stepping up or Cisco stepping up or, uh, or, or a ServiceNow stepping up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even uh, Jack Ma sending masks uh, really all around the world. Uh, Sandberg uh, did say yesterday that they're going to work on fixing in ways they really haven't talked about before, Jim, uh, fixing misinformation, especially when it comes to COVID, whether that's a celebrity, whether that's a politician, an influencer of any kind. That's kind of a narrative shift. Yeah, absolutely, man. I wish that people would start publishing the numbers out of Italy, the true numbers, uh, because actually, I mean, look, no deaths. uh, Any death is, of course, terrible. But we are getting some very heartening data out of Italy, which shows you basically that if you're uh, 39 or, or uh, younger, you're, you're just it's just you're just highly unlikely to die. Uh, unfortunately, the people I don't who think are, there's been 
I, I don't think there's been one, at least in Lombardi, not one fatality under 30. Exactly. And so what happens, Carl, is and I, where I think we're in a jam is you have you see younger people on the beach and they're having a great time. And why are they having a great time? Because they have it or many of them have it and they don't know. And then they come home to us and we find that uh, we get it from them. But in particularly some cases like me, uh, you can't afford it because the, the numbers show that you can't afford to get sick, particularly after 70. So in many ways, unfortunately, our children are our worst enemy in this. And I think that should be talked about in terms of quarantining the elderly, uh, quarantining those with pre-existing, particularly high blood pressure, but also diabetes, because they're getting it from their family members who are younger, grandchildren, uh, children. And that's what we have to worry about. I actually think more than we worry about crowd gathering. Because yeah. uh, that's our, it's our own sons and daughters who are giving it to us. Yep, I know. My dad lives around the corner. I can't see him. I don't know if you saw Mel Brooks and his kid uh, with a, a tweet yesterday talking uh, behind a, a pane glass window. Uh, that's, that's what separation is. Well, he's 2,000 years old, so we can get a good sense of that. I'm not with my uh, stepson. Uh, just yeah. why bother? Yeah. Rather just. Right. And by the way, if I have to do TV, I'll do it from some basement room like I'm seeing. Not a snuff film, though. We got a lot to watch today, uh, Jim, especially commercial paper. We'll be looking for uh, actions by the Fed. We got the unscheduled repo yesterday. Let's get to our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, checking in on what we're seeing in the credit markets. Hey, Steve. Yeah, not hearing good things. I've been on the phone all morning with people in the markets. Uh, and, and they say they are just not performing well. There's maybe one or two of these markets, for example, the uh, trading of uh, of yen or in, borrowing, borrowing in yen, lending in dollars, uh, lending in dollars, borrowing in yen, not trading all that well. Let me give you a couple of bullet points that I've seen here. One, uh, there's concern about outflows from money market funds this morning. Uh, one person said to me the commercial paper market is shut. Uh, finally, the repo trading uh, is pricing well above Fed funds, so that's not uh, performing all that well this morning. Um, if you want to, the commercial paper issue is quite specific, and what's happened here is that the money markets uh, are the lenders to this market, but there's concern that they will have funds withdrawn from them from big institutional investors. The companies are the borrowers in this market. They're trying to raise cash. If they don't raise cash, they have to go over and draw down their bank credit lines. That puts additional pressure on the bank. So talking to a lot of people this morning, uh, there's a little consternation as to why the Federal Reserve has not acted so far yet uh, in this process yet in the commercial paper market, Carl. All right. So, Steve, what do you expect to happen? You know, I think the Fed is going to come in here. I'm, I'm drawing on the reporting that Eamon Javers has done from a senior administration official. I don't know if you have him on in this hour, but he has people saying that he, they expect the Federal Reserve to act. In my knowledge of the Fed, uh, I said a day or two ago that I did expect the Fed to come in in the commercial paper market. It might just be a matter of getting ducks in a row. The Fed has been moving very, very fast here. Uh, what they did Sunday night was a whole bunch of crisis era programs rolled out over months. They did all that in a single night. It matter of getting ducks in a row because they do have to coordinate this with Treasury. But my expectation is the Federal Reserve will act here in the commercial paper market and maybe in other markets as well. Jim, you got anything? Sure. Let's what I want to do. I mean, first on on that, uh, trying frantically, of course, to get a hold of different uh, people. What I want to do is. Look, we can panic people on this, Steve. Uh, we know that if everyone withdraws money at once, it breaks the buck. And I, I think that that's foolish. There was no need to do it in 2007, 2009. I went over with the federal government yesterday the commercial paper situation. I'm not saying it's at hand. 
I am saying that if it's necessary, this is not 2007, 2009, where we're worried about people who have done wrong. Uh, we're worried about, as you know and I know, uh, moral hazard. I, I think that these markets may be seizing up, but I think that the Federal Reserve is, uh, is up to the task. Maybe they need to hear it from us. But uh, if people take action on that and they sell stocks, I think that's a shame because it's ephemeral. Uh, it's not like uh, when I look through a series of days, uh, particularly the days October 10 through 20, uh, you could take down the American system. The American system is so much stronger that it, it's great that we alert people to something like commercial paper uh, into a dollar-yen trade. Uh, but when I come to look at the companies that I look at, uh, you're going to get a great opportunity because of, of, what ha- of what we can say about these things that is not going to end up being significant two weeks from now. I feel very strongly about that. And, and actually, uh, it's just very important to make that point to people uh, that the dollar-yen is not going to bring down the Treasury. Well understood, Jim. Uh, and we have. I think it's important. Uh, we sadly, have a role to play. Yeah, I, we we have experiences from about a decade ago where we have right. learned some tough lessons, and hopefully they come yeah. into play now. Yeah, I mean, for instance, we're going to have a, right now. We're bringing in Chuck Robbins, and I think yeah, Chuck can speak to the idea. There's two markets here. There's the financial market, which I think people are uh, want to try to say are broken, and I just say we please have some forbearance. And then there's the real market, and the real market is the economy, and that's what Chuck Robbins is good at. He's the uh, chairman and CEO of Cisco. Chuck, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is always great to see you. I want you to describe what you see out there because there's a, there is, a, without a doubt, a narrative which just says the world's breaking down. And I see there's another narrative, which is that the private enterprise is going to save the day. Well, first of all, Jim, thanks uh, to you and Carl, and thanks for all the work you're doing to report on this accurately and try to uh, help people navigate the complexity. I I think of this in three ways. I think there's the medical response, which, you know, look, there's a great deal of human ingenuity in in this country, and I think will prevail, and I think will probably prevail faster than people think. Uh, Secondly, there's the fiscal side, which you guys understand, and you're uh, talking about on a regular basis. And then there's two other pieces there. There's the piece of helping our customers remain productive during this time, and also helping our communities, frankly, because it's a, uh, it's a real uh, difficult time, frankly, for the most vulnerable people, those hourly contract workers, as well as you know, the homeless and others in our society, and we have to come together. So we're working on both those latter two, uh, day and night, and uh, I feel good about where we are. Companies are coming together. Uh, we uh, convened about 35 companies on Friday in Silicon Valley to try to tackle issues of helping people financially who are struggling right now. Uh, Volunteers, frankly, are not showing up at homeless shelters and not showing up at food banks where they're worried about getting the virus. And we have to backfill those folks and figure that out. Uh, We have to deal with hunger with students being out of school. So there's there's an awful lot going on, and I think business is really beginning to step up in a big way. Okay, Chuck, when you say we have to deal with, we're in a different time. I think that when you and I were younger, uh, this would be something that the federal government would handle because the federal government's bigger than all of us. It sounds like that to some degree what's happened is these problems are either not being addressed correctly by the federal government, the federal government is slow, or private enterprise is now the biggest source of social change in the country. Do you think it's the latter or do you think you're leading uh, and the feds don't understand? Or, or the, the federal government kind of routinely focused not on the, the people who are 1099 employees, uh, people who have just been laid off, but the people who actually have a paycheck coming from a, a solvent company, you seem to be involved in trying to help the people who do not have that. Well, I, I actually think that 
you know, it's a combination of both that have to solve this problem. I mean, I was I spoke to Governor Newsom yesterday, and he's made some great moves relative to, you know, moratoriums on evictions, moratoriums on foreclosures, moratoriums on services being cut off, utilities, internet, etc. And um, and and I think there's a lot of work going on to to you know provide hotel space for those who are vulnerable. But I think that um, I think it is both, and I think that. Um, Look, sometimes it takes the government longer to get some of the things moving that you guys have been talking about for a couple of days now. And I think in the interim, we have to step in. And, you know, many of the companies have made the commitment to continue paying our hourly contract workers, those workers who would have been in our cafeterias, those workers who have been in our custodial staffs. I mean, they're, those are the ones who are going to suffer. And so making the commitment to pay them at 100% during this crisis are just easy things that some of us can do. But unfortunately, every company can't do that. And we have to find a way to make sure we're, we're helping those who, who aren't in that situation. Those are the people who are being overlooked so far. Chuck, in the meantime, there's a big change in the way people do work. Uh, people working from home. I see you. Uh, I'm not sure exactly <coughs> where you are. It's certainly not. It looks good. Uh, but you have a thing called WebEx. And WebEx is what big companies use to be able to make it so that you don't have to go to the office. Is there a fundamental change? And if I were to call you today for WebEx, would you be able to just say, sure, Jim, no problem? Or is it, say, 10 times the demand that you had a few weeks ago? Well, I have to say the volumes are unprecedented. Uh, in the last 10 or 11 days, our volume has literally doubled. Uh, and since the outbreak in China, we, we saw 22 times the traffic coming out of China. We've seen four to five times the traffic in Korea, Japan, and others, other areas. And we were already the biggest platform globally in the world. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you a statistic. Yesterday, we held 3.2 million meetings globally on WebEx. And that doesn't include one-on-ones. These are multi-individual meetings. And in the first 11 business days of March, we've had 5.5 billion uh, meeting minutes. So, look, it, it, we're we're just building as fast as we can. Our teams are working seven by twenty-four. We're 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 trying to boost our collaboration team and our security team's spirits because they're working around the clock. Everybody's working from home. They're having increasing capacity of their VPN connections and security, cloud security. We're giving a lot of that technology away for free for now until we get through this issue. So. Uh, you know, we're, we're working as hard as we can. A lot of our competitors, a lot of our peers are doing similar things. And I think it's just uh, it's great to just see everybody coming together to try to keep the, the companies productive uh, while we're going through this uh, this crisis. Hey, Chuck, it's Carl. Um, you talk about getting through this issue. I mean, there is this hopeful narrative that China and Korea, as you mentioned, are a quarter, maybe half a quarter ahead of us uh, in this whole nightmare and that they will offer demonstration uh, that there is a door at the other side. Are you seeing any signs of that? Well, I, you know, I see the same things you guys see, and I listen to the medical experts who I think have been just very steady through this whole thing. You listen to folks like Gottlieb, and, and you know, they know what needs to happen. And uh, I've I heard this morning 5 million tests, Jim, I think you talked about, and then I've talked to some of my friends in the pharma industry, and, you know, that's where this notion of this human ingenuity that's going to come through. And I think that we are the most innovative and uh, country in the world, and we have lived through crises, and I think we'll get through this one. Now, how long it takes, I leave that to the medical experts, but in the interim, I think it's our, our job is to focus on helping those in our communities to the extent we can and making sure that our customers are taken care of as well, and our employees. 
You know, Chuck, I, I also know that you took a lead. Mark Benioff gets a lot of credit. We love Mark here for doing this, but to try to help the homeless, I did want to say that for some degree, your company has been a leader in this. And I want to talk about the evolution of what I regard as ESG, particularly for the younger viewers out there. I'm listening to you. Um, my Chapel Trust is Cisco shareholder. How do I, uh, as a shareholder, how do I justify all the money you're spending on these things? And I'm just being devil's advocate. I obviously feel that these things are very important. And you and I both know each other off screen. Um, but how do you justify this to the shareholders that this is the right thing to do, given the fact that, uh, that it's going to hurt the quarter? Well, I'll tell you what, we have um, one thing I've learned in the last few years is that these community issues and giving back in your communities and, and helping those who are less fortunate is critical to our employees. And they want to work. And increasingly, we talk about the millennials, but it's every generation. Employees want to work for companies with a purpose. Employees want to work for companies that care about the communities in which they live. And so I think that our, our, we get the best employees when we do these things. They're more motivated when we do these things. They innovate more. They're, more. they're more excited about coming to work. I think that's one of the big things. I think our customers appreciate it. And I think in general, it, it actually fits very well into the overall uh, economic strategy that we have for our business plan. I think that, um, Look, the, the, the more motivated your employees are, the more they innovate, the more excited they are about coming to work, the better job they're going to do. And I think that's, that's how I've figured out that this is really the right thing to do. But as it relates to this crisis and this quarter, I think we all just have to do the right thing for our people and not worry about the quarter. I'm so glad to hear you say that. One last thing, Chuck. Uh, we've seen this uh, illness ravage whole countries. Uh, and they're countries you do a lot of business in. And some people feel they started to come out on the other side in the interest of actually being optimistic for a second. How's business in South Korea? How's business in Japan? Well, we have, um, look, there's, there's huge demand for our video conferencing, our conferencing technologies, our security products. I mean, company, companies are trying to build out capacity to support all this, these companies working from our employees working from home. Uh, but, you know, we've been singularly focused on just getting whatever equipment these countries need. Uh, we've been we've taken equipment into these pop up health clinics in China and Korea. Uh, we've been bringing in WebEx and universities to try to help them get back up and running. So I think it's too early to tell sort of what the business conditions are going to be after they come out of this. But I think during the crisis, we're simply focused on trying to help them with whatever needs they have. Finally, Chuck, uh, I mean, it, it's so notable that uh, you're working to help others. You also got to help yourselves, though, uh, keep the balance sheet strong. Uh, can you talk about any efforts to uh, bolster up credit, uh, things like that, in terms of uh, building a bridge for Cisco over the next couple of months or quarters? Well, we, we've been, we're fortunate, obviously, that we have a very strong balance sheet. And uh, we think that, um, you know, over the next few quarters, our, our customers likely are going to come out of this, and I think they'll realize that this crisis has demonstrated that they need to beef up their infrastructure even more. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, right now, the irony is, is that what we need are companies that understand how to build at-scale infrastructure to support what's going on in the world. This is unprecedented. I mean, can you imagine thinking, like, when we designed a lot of our technology, can you imagine me telling our teams... I need you to build this so that it can accommodate every person on the planet working for a company. They're going to go home and work from home, and you need to scale to support that. So 
I think it's uh, it's it's bringing new uh, requirements to bear. Uh, I think our balance sheet is strong. I think we'll get through these short-term issues, and then I think uh, we'll do very well going forward, Carl. Chuck, thank you so much. I, I know Carl and I share, uh, Carl shares this. It, it's just good to hear a, a kind of different tone. Uh, there's a sense that I think that corporate America is really rallying, not running from, but running to, to help. And I want to thank you, Chuck Robbins, CEO at Cisco, uh, for your comments and for doing something that longer term is going to help uh, everyone. And by the way, short, I, I wouldn't be surprised, as you said, we are going to come through this. It may not be years. It may not be, it may not be seasons. It may just be months. Thank you so much, Chuck. Good to see you. Right. Thank you, guys. Jim, not to pile on too much, but uh, you got to think about the responsibilities Chuck and all of his peers uh, trying to lead big businesses have right now and the willingness to come on and share just a message. Right. Doesn't have to be too specific, no. but just to get out there and communicate is really key right now. That's all it takes. Thank you. Carl. We've got some more. Right. Got it. Yeah. We got a ton of headlines to get to. Of course, Kate Rogers going to walk us through all the headlines regarding the virus today. Hey, Kate. Hey, Carl. Good morning. We'll begin with new cases today, more than 183,300 around the globe with more than 7,100 deaths. In the United States, cases have surpassed 4,600 with 85 deaths. Notably, while China recorded an additional 20 new cases Monday, just one new locally originated infection was recorded in Wuhan. Others were among travelers who had arrived from abroad. The Trump administration released new guidelines Monday to help slow the spread of coronavirus. The moves include closing schools, pausing discretionary travel, avoiding bars and restaurants, as well as groups of more than 10 people at a time. Those guidelines will apply for 15 days. Seven counties in Northern California have now been ordered to shelter in place for the next three weeks beginning today. Residents have been told to stay home except for essentials, things like going to buy food or caring for pets. These are now the most restrictive measures we've seen so far in the United States. This comes after the governors of New York, New Jersey and Connecticut banded together yesterday to impose curfews and steer Americans away from bars and restaurants, moving to takeout only. Casinos, gyms, theaters and more are also temporarily closed and gatherings are now limited to 50 people. And as more people stay home and shop online, Amazon says it plans to hire 100,000 employees across the United States. The company says it plans to increase pay for workers in fulfillment centers, transportation, stores and deliveries by $2 an hour. For more on coronavirus coverage, head over to CNBC.com. Back over to you. All right, Kate, that's just a taste of all the corporate headlines we got in the last 18 hours. Jim, let's get to some Mad Dash. I know you're watching Dow this morning. Right. I mean, I had Jim Fitterling on Mad Money last night. I'm putting this out because I think a lot of people are worried about something that Chuck Robbins just mentioned in that interview, which is he said, listen, we have a good balance sheet. Well, uh, and therefore, of course, his dividend is not in question. We have a lot of people who are starting to think, when am I going to get some income? How do I get income? Because obviously CDs rolling over. There's no money to be made in the Treasury market. Uh, Cisco has a four and a quarter yield. Well, last night I, I had Dow Chemical on and Jim Fitterling. Well, you know, we're looking at a company that's selling maybe at five times earnings. Uh, it, it's got a 12 percent dividend and yield. And you know, he's just saying, listen, I'm buying stock. Two members of my board are buying stock because we think the dividend's safe. He actually knows the coverage. And by the way, I think what's one of the most important kind of emblematic of where we are. China's back up and running. And I think that people have to recognize that China got through this. Kate just mentioned that excellent port. Only one, one new case in in China last night. One. And Jim Fitterling says China is doing okay. So I just want to caution people who are panicked or saying, listen, I see all the retailers closing. You know, this may be shorter lived. Uh, Look, I don't know. I'm not Dr. Fauci. But there are companies that are doing okay. 
Yeah, I think we, we want to get to that day where recoveries exceed new cases, and that day will come. Uh, Jim, I want to mention two things. You talk about dividend. S&P dividend yield is now 126 basis points above Treasury. That's a record. And in terms of insider buying, uh, Charlie Scharf buys 173,000 shares of Wells on Friday at 28.69. So there is activity. Yeah, look, I, I, I know Charlie pretty well. And, you know, and there's a sense that I, I knew Charlie from, from the old days. He's a, a terrific CEO. And you could say, well, holy cow, uh, he actually is, is not doing well in that insider buy. Of course, obviously, insiders can't sell for a long time. I'm thinking that Charlie Scharf's buy reminds me a lot of Jamie Dimon's bottom call. Now, we know, look, uh, you have Steve Leisman talking about the idea that there are real seize ups. Uh, and we know there will be seize-ups. There were seize-ups in 2007, 2008. Uh, and then what happened during the seize-ups? Well, Mercury Express traded at 10. Well, I guess that was the time to get rid of Mercury Express. No, it was the time to buy. Which one's Washington Mutual? I don't know. I don't think it's Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, largest retail ba- uh, uh, bank. And Charlie, maybe one of the great bankers of all time. Remember, he was at Visa before and then Bank of New York. I thought his was a statement buy. But more importantly, this is a guy who didn't need to buy. Why did he buy? Well, I think he bought because he said, what am I, I'm really selling him five times earnings. Uh, my dividend is fine, 7.7. Just got a new uh, chairman that I uh, get along with and have got a whole new team coming. So, uh, look, do, we, do you want to buy, Char- buy Wells with Charlie Scharf? I, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, is Charlie just throwing money away? Uh, Charlie, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. met first, I first met Charlie and uh, he kind of schooled me. Of course, sometimes you meet these guys and you just say, "Okay, I'm an idiot. Tell me everything. Then the second time I felt like an idiot. The third time I felt like I wasn't as dumb as I thought. Uh, He is a really, really smart guy. And for him to make that take that swing is not idle. Uh, I was trying to get love to have Charlie on. Uh, Charlie's not the kind of guy who likes TV because I've been trying to get him on for, I don't know, maybe 40 times. But that that was a sign of, of hopefulness. Again, I'm not saying that we're going to front run Fauci. I'm using Fauci as code for uh, when we can come out of our our hovels. But uh, and I know that the retailers are obviously uh, strapped and working back and forth with Secretary Mnuchin to figure out what the deal is there. But I'm just saying that it's not the end of the world. It's certainly uh, not a great time. Yeah. Um, Jim, speaking of uh, retailers and consumer products, uh, maybe we'll do this day after day. I don't know. I mean, and I don't know the degree to which it is relevant, but the upgrade list today includes Walmart, Pepsi, EA, Square, B of A, Procter, JD.com, by the way, Jim, where Bernstein uh, is talking about 31 percent upside. They take their revenue growth to 18 this year, uh, largely based on the peak that we seem to have seen in China. Look, I've never recommended Chinese stocks other than Alibaba. It's time to buy them. I mean, look, I'm not saying let's go back to November of of 1918 in our country. We had just lost 550,000 people with a a flu that you got in the morning and you were dead by the evening. Uh, That's 1.7 million people now. Uh, And then it killed everybody it was going to kill. Uh, Now, that's certainly not the way you want a flu to end. You obviously like Regeneron, which is on Mad Money tonight, to solve the problem, or Moderna, or one of 10 companies who don't even know they're working on it. I wish there were 100 companies working on it. But uh, they, when you have one case, let's just say that the Chinese are are dissembling. Let's say there's 500 cases. Well, it certainly means that they're through the worst. So I like Alibaba here. If you want to do JD, you want to be second tier, that's fine. That would be like, I like J&J. You want to go be in Teva, be my guest. Right. Uh, but there, let, let's talk about that Walmart upgrade. I mean, when we get out through the other side, the companies that have the best balance sheet are going to be kings. 
And Walmart's got the best balance sheet. Uh, they've got a very forgiving board, which is family. Walmart, uh, the only problem is Walmart's not down that much. I was looking at the stocks that were down no. more or less than yeah. they were in the, uh, in the Pal bear, bear market of December of 2018. And that's not one that's cheap enough. Uh, but they have an unbelievable balance sheet, and they're going to come through, and it's going to be survival the fittest in retail unless, unless uh, we get this thing yep. finished quickly. No, or not. Oppenheimer, as you say, Jim, they go to outperform, but they do point out it's down 11% from March 10 versus 17 on the S&P. Yeah. Uh, so not the, not the wipeout that, I mean, uh, that some Walmart, others are seeing. Walmart traded $85 on 12.24, which is the day that Powell kind of declared uncle. So that's, you're not really getting a big bargain there. Uh, One of the things that I think is very interesting is the Proctor upgrade. Proctor was at $87 in that faded day of when we thought we were going to go into recession. Now it's at $108. Uh, And and so to me, it says, you know, be careful. These stocks, we're not – I remember that, you know, we we could have a TARP-like moment where you – I was talking with Andrew uh, in the crosstalk, where you had TARP pass and everyone breathed a sigh of relief and then just got completely gobsmacked. So uh, don't be too aggressive. If you like that call, remember you're paying up today. Versus the people who were smart enough to buy in the last half hour uh, during the press conference that I think we remembered. It's like, well, wow, that was one of the I thought the press conference was okay, but they were selling throughout that. And, and I think so. You know, be careful when you come in and you buy up because it's not been a rewarding situation for a single day in this stance. Yeah. Single day. It's been a mistake. So maybe today's different. I, I, I wouldn't bet on it. So you are still in a... Um, um Sell the rallies and 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 cover the crashes. I mean, yeah. at least until you get a sense that the bottom is truly reached. Yeah, it's really the opposite of the buy the dips. Um, I do think that selling. Uh, un, I think now instead of selling, I kind of felt like you should sell everything on a big rally like Friday afternoon. Now I think you only sell lower quality, and and you do have to start thinking about buying because let's say Regeneron does it right, Carl. Holy cow, you're going to really miss something. Yeah. Let's get this bell, Jim, and get a look at the S and P at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. With the big board, it's Tom Green, Vice President of NYSE Building Operations. Uh, we do thank them for keeping all of us safe here on the floor and staying open at the NASDAQ Read Alliance, a New York City organization dedicated to early literacy. Jim, uh, it's not just you and me this morning. We got Faber calling in. There hey, you David. Go. David? Good morning. Good morning, David. David. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, Talk about what you're hearing this week. You know, there's so many dislocations. First of all, I'm very sorry that I'm not there with you. I hope I will be soon. Um, You know, there's so many different things to cover in a market like this, as you guys well know, far beyond uh, the markets as well. We've got to keep an eye on the real economy. I'm, you know, the days are obviously filled uh, with uh, a lot of phone calls and texts. You never stop, uh, regardless of whether I haven't been able to get there. Um, and I'm keeping an eye on a lot of different things, including the dislocations in various markets that you guys are talking about. Um, also, just the way the markets are functioning right now, because you do have so many traders who are working from home um, for the first time. Maybe they were at a remote location. Maybe they still are in some ways. But, you know, unfortunately, some people are either potentially uh, getting the virus or fear they have it. And then you're breaking these teams apart. And you do have a lot of people now working from their homes. And there is a concern among some out there that, well, how well is that going to go? Uh, you know, can I really have my principal trades, uh, significant ones, conducted by somebody sitting in their living room? We'll see. Uh, the hope is it will work seamlessly. But there is a concern there as people really do move, even from remote locations, 
to their actual homes in terms of trading desks being broken apart, in part because, unfortunately, somebody may have the virus, and obviously you don't want anybody sitting near anyone else. Um, beyond that, guys, I'm trying to keep an eye on the real economy, and I'm hearing a lot about that. I know you're talking a great deal about it, of course, whether it's retail, hotel, leisure, anything related to restaurants or those things. Um, we are talking about companies that are finding their, their cash dramatically falling and their ability to pay vendors obviously falling. So those who provide to these industries and the prospect of enormous layoffs coming because companies, even if they don't have a great deal of debt, are at a point where, well, can I hang in there? Do I need to lay off 50% of my staff today or can I wait a bit? Um, the idea of forbearance certainly is one that a lot of people are talking about. Jim, and, you know, you talked about it even as, as, as long ago as last week, but it's very difficult to figure out a way and a mechanism to have forbearance go throughout the chain so that we don't have defaults and we don't have concerns about that amongst many of these companies. Well, you're so right, David. I mean, you, you deal with small business. Small business, they run on a shoestring, and they're laying people off. Uh, the, most of the, of the bars and restaurants in New York City are, are going to try to make it so the employees get, say, 50 percent of what, they're, uh, what they normally would get, make over the next two weeks. Obviously, that's not enough for them to make, uh, make ends meet, but the chain begins with your rent. And then it goes with your insurance. It goes with the electric bill. And no one's going to offer you forbearance. Uh, a lot of people on 1099 are not covered by the payroll tax cut. There seems to be a little disconnect between Washington and the real people who are in trouble. I, I like to think Treasury very much on the side of, of working people. But, David, I think the big problem here is how do you get money? And we're not being, how do you get money to people? I don't think we're being creative at all. We've got this great private sector. I mean, if I, if I were the Treasury Secretary, I would call up the CEO of Intuit, Okay. I say, listen, you guys are really, really tuned into what we do. Brad Smith, he's fantastic. Brad, how do we get the money into people? You, you do almost all the small business returns. Tell us how to do it. They need to rely on business more, David, because the government has been so denuded of resources over the last 25 years that they're no longer capable of waging the war that we need against this disease. They have to bring in people like the CEO of Intuit. And I don't They have to bring in the CEO of Square. They have to bring in the CEO of Visa. Do you see any of this, David? Do you see any uh, any recognition that the only people who, are, who can handle this now are the big business people uh, because the problem's just got, gotten too large? You know, I do. What I do hear from people uh, is that the Secretary of the Treasury does get it at the very yes, least. he does. I, I'm uh, definitely and, gets and understands it. the scope of the problem and the fact that it's not necessarily just going to be a government-led solution, uh, and obviously not just by the Fed. Certainly. Um, so, Jim, there is that, but. We've never dealt with anything quite like this before, and how you actually go about creating the mechanisms that we're talking about so that companies do not feel pressure to lay people off in the face of uh, declining cash flows that are down 70, 80 percent is still unclear. And by the way, you know this, we all know this, time is of the essence here. This is not something that can be uh, discussed and, and debated over the next week. This is something that has to take place very, very soon. And that continues to be a real concern, at least amongst. Now, I'm talking to a lot of the people who finance these companies and are sort of relating the stories to me of, you know, uh, 10 companies with 150,000 employees that they're talking to that they're saying on the verge of bankruptcy. So it's got to move fast, Jim. I think you're right. There are ways to get at it. I think the good news is everything I hear indicates that the Treasury Secretary gets it. But how you actually implement it is still something that's very much unclear. 
Hey, David, we're all on the lookout for any potential uh, Fed headlines today. We're obviously watching commercial paper. The Journal uh, editorial board does float this piece last night in which they, they echo what Warsh said earlier in the week. They're looking at this, which I'm sure will become very familiar with potentially, the Section 13.3, which would allow the Fed to lend directly to industries other than financial services, presumably airlines, hotels, casinos, you name it. Um, how, much do, how much is that getting talked about? It, you know, it's part of the conversation in terms of at least people who are trying to work through capital structures right now that are unsustainable when your revenues are down 50, 60, 70 percent, Carl. But I, I don't know specifically what the expectation is there. And then the question is, how far does it range, right? We're talking now about retail as well that's starting to close. I mean, I guess malls are still somewhat open, but that's probably not very much for much longer. Uh, and that industry we've watched, Jim, we've looked at some of the names there. I know Macefords cut its dividend yesterday, you know, uh, Simon Property down 25%. Do, how far and wide does the, would the Fed even go? I, I, it's unclear. But again, we've never, we've never seen anything like this. We've obviously dealt with the depths of the financial crisis in which many of us were worried about the soundness of the financial system. But this is sort of different in a different level. And, and it's going to require, as Jim said, I think, Carl, creative solutions that do include the private sector in a great way. And don't forget, even if you are a company that provides services to many of these companies and feel as though you're insulated, you're not, because obviously if they are not there to buy those services, that does have its way of trickling through uh, and can do so fairly quickly. So, uh, Jim, you know, you, you've been talking to a lot of companies out there that potentially are in a position to provide some sort of support but I still find it hard to understand exactly how we kind of get this forbearance to move through the system entirely. No, you're, you're right, David. I'm, I don't want to pick on him, but a couple that were commenting on in research today. Uh, Dave and Buster's a very good outfit and fun to take your kids there, but it's actually a great place to congregate. Well, there's the, there's the most dangerous word in the English language right now, congregating. So there's a stock that was at 59 uh, and now is at 7. Uh, a, a fantastic company, the really well run Ruth's Hospitality Group. And this stock was at 27 not that long ago, and, and now it's at seven. But you know what, right. David? I don't know. What do you do when you run an establishment that's illegal to open? I know. I know. But, and, but you ran it, to your point, you ran it well. You executed right. well. This is obviously nothing that is your fault in any way in terms of your own mistakes that right. you're suffering for in the capital markets as a result, Jim. And we're talking, even though the market caps now in these companies may be small, Tens of thousands of employees. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, this is, uh, it is a, uh, the equivalent of, of just an act of God just going right through and, and just leveling all sorts of industries. And you'd say to yourself, well, wait a second, if we could just get through to the other side, if we could just get through the vaccine, if we get, get through to an antiviral, uh, then all these companies would come back to life. It, it, does it mean that they should be doomed? Uh, it, does the federal government have any responsibility to Ruth's hospitality? Does it have any responsibility to Royal Caribbean? Or is it just going to be uh, Walmart that rules the roost because they've got the great balance sheet? And, David, I mean, talk about moral hazard. I mean, these companies did nothing. And look, look I, I, I deal with the Restaurant Association. And, you know, all the Restaurant Association is trying to say in New York is, all right, well, look, try to keep your people on for a while. I mean, that is... It, those are the words that, that sound very much like 1932, and we don't want that. But I don't know what the Treasury Secretary can do short of saying, you know what, we're going to guarantee lines of credit to every retailer. They can't do that. I mean, 
maybe what's happened, David, is, is that we're going to be in, a, in an abyss for a short time. We'll come back. But the companies that have a lot of debt, uh, David, uh, you know, what are you going to just call up J.P. Morgan and say, you know what, uh, Corona, no pay? Well, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't, unless J.P. Morgan says fine. There's, you know, nothing, no debts are due for the next right. three weeks. While, while we figure this out and you get, un, you know, you get unlimited liquidity somehow. You're right. I, I don't know how it works, uh, Jim. I don't quite know, but I do know that there are any number of companies that are very close to sort of having to make these life or death decisions right. and laying off significant amounts of their people. I mean, theoretically, right. you, yeah. you can't only carry. I mean, theoretically, what you want to do if you're Darden, which we have up on the screen, uh, you want to be able to go to a, a bank and say, look, I need a letter of credit and go to the Fed and get it guaranteed. I need the money to be able to hold hold things open. But now the question is, 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 is there a triage just like we have to do, unfortunately, with Corona? Is there a triage where we just say, you know what, we'll go out to dinner at, at new places in November? Uh, and, David, I don't know. We've never really had to. Maybe that's what happens. We... Just don't go to the same places we did. And I think that that's going to lead to very high unemployment. And you're going to have to put people on unemployment rolls that may end up being more expensive than just throwing a line of credit to Darden. Jim, these are the questions that a lot of people are asking right now, far beyond the markets, of course, which we're so focused on and the dislocations that are occurring there. But, yeah, you're right. It gets back to the real economy. And we don't have the answers at this point. We can only hope that a lot of people are thinking very creatively about a way to go about trying to maintain or keep as many jobs as possible in these industries. And these are massive industries, right? I mean, we're not talking, we're talking about millions upon millions of people who work in these jobs. Absolutely. Well, David, thank you. Uh, It's sobering. And it's one of the reasons why when you get these up openings that are so darn stupid, uh, you do get a chance to reliquify uh, and, and sell the bad oil breaking down again. Oil's one of the really one of the danger points of this economy because there, there the people are going to have to be laid off as the production uh, and the exploration budgets go down dramatically. Carl, yeah. th- again, th- Carl, this is what I don't like. I mean, you have this market go up; people think it's recovered. Yeah, it's just an opportunity to get out of the bad ones. Yeah, uh, you mentioned oil, uh, you know, down 14 cents, but we did get that notice from Exxon yesterday. Wow. After a slew of uh, smaller players uh, do guide, obviously, lower on CapEx and production. Jim, the other thing uh, uh, that we'll talk about for the next several months, at least, is, all right, you got industries that are systemically important to the national economy. Right. Airlines is the perfect example, uh, but that spent 96% of their free cash flow on buybacks for the past decade. Uh, how much responsibility did they have to build a rainy day fund for un- unforeseen situations like this? Yeah, I've been thinking about that and the moral hazard and the notion that they spent the money wrong. Uh, they were under tremendous pressure, obviously, from the shareholders to return the capital. They thought it was the right thing. It would be highly unusual for a company to just sit there and say, you know what, uh, one day we're going to have just some sort of just real bad event that we can't think of right now. So we gotta keep the money on hand. Uh, I think that what that cuts to, though, is who has to pay for it and do the the executives, do we tell them, listen, you were earn a dollar a year because you did that, uh, but we're going to let it so that the, and the shareholders, you came to the nuisance, but we're going to make sure that the workers are paid and the airlines are safe. I mean, that's what I know that sounds draconian, but I, that's what I think a, a, an administration might be tempted to do, which say, you know what, we need American air, uh, but you guys make nothing because you really kind of didn't do the right thing. Uh, your employees make their full price. And the uh, airlines stay in the air when we get through uh, COVID. We don't want to have all new companies and wipe out the capitalist system. 
because of an illness that is going to be conquered by American ingenuity. And right. you can imagine, let's say that Nordstrom, which I, I think is a terrific company, good balance sheet, they have to close their stores. I mean, should Nordstrom be punished because they almost took the company private when it was at 50? That would have been foolish. I say, you know what, Nordstrom's a good institution. We, uh, we want to keep them alive, but uh, there's, no, there's nothing in the Constitution which says uh, we pledge allegiance to Nordstrom. Indeed, Jim. I want to ask you about um, a piece you wrote, I think last night, about six totems to watch. Uh, do you have a name? Do you have a list of uh, names that are, you think are critical at, the, at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think when you you, you look at, at this market, you really got to say, well, what stocks uh, have great balance sheets that could uh, easily ride through this? But maybe uh, you've got to see where. Oh my, she's the market's down already. But, you know, I look at let, let's start with the big elephant in the room. I, I, I look at Boeing. Uh, Boeing is a national treasure. Boeing must be saved. Boeing has a double whammy of its customers in trouble. And it's not able to make the plane that is its uh, that's the most important plane. And it's in its arsenal. Uh, we can't let Boeing fail. Uh, this is Boeing's been in that situation one other time. So, I mean, what we need to hear from Treasury is, OK, look, we have a protect list. Uh, we're not going to let these companies fail. They're national treasures. We have no choice. We need them for national defense and, and just build it like a national defense issue. So it's not a uh, commercial issue. And anyone who's needed for national defense, they're going to they're going to save anyone who's needed for the uh, for the fight against the covid. They got to save. And everybody else we're going to try to get to, uh, but it may not work. Realist approach, realistic approach. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking at Boeing at 120, Jim, we know where it was in the mid 400s. Uh, this BAML, uh, I should say B of A fund manager survey today, uh, sentiment going down to 08 extremes. How much do you think sentiment actually is being washed out right here? Well, not yet. Uh, you know, I have Regeneron on tonight and, and George Ancopoulos, the man who conquered uh, Ebola, will be on. And if I get the sense, frankly, that he's talking about, you know what, this is not an uh, 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 this is not a problem that is uh, impossible to solve. I'll feel good. Then the other thing, Carl, we just don't talk about enough, which is that when you look at the data out of China, and you particularly look at the data out of Italy, you can see that we may I'm just going to be a little bit more blunt here than I'd like to be. But <laughs> we may be we may be sacrificing the economy for the people who are uh, between the ages of 70 and 90. And, and those are treasured people to us. Obviously, this is our parents. Hey, this is me, for heaven's sake. But I know that the younger people, uh, they come home, they're at the beach, the spring break. I hate those pictures of them on the beach. They don't have a care in the world, Ocala youth. This is like, you know, you, th- th- this is literally one of those situations like Conrad when you read, when you read youth. But great short, it won't take long to read. And I look at these numbers and I say, is this what we're sacrificing the economy on for the people who are uh, older? Why don't, if they would stay indoors, uh, if we had a quarantine of them and we get through yes. this, then we wouldn't be talking about closing two thirds of the remember, right. we're a service right. economy, which is which is why, Jim, uh, and we'll get to Pisani quickly. Um, there was a sense yesterday that the president, for the first time, got real with the American public in that presser, saying that July, August is a marker in his mind. When asked about it, said it's bad, said a recession may be um, after you know, 52 days between the first case and declaring an emergency. Yeah, uh, you know, you have to think. I know that 60 minutes a week ago was a wake-up call with Dr. Fauci really talking very honestly 
uh, up front. He's always been honest the whole way, but he was just saying, listen, it's, it's not so good. Uh, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner. Uh, mm-hmm. Rudy, the player who was the biggest jack, you know, didn't handle himself that well and, and you know, said that we had the you know, created a shutdown. And I come back and I say, listen, I am told without a doubt that there are going to be things from the Treasury Secretary this morning that are going to answer a lot of what we're talking about. Obviously, these problems are too big for, for the private sector. We heard from Chuck. We know Chuck Robbins. But it has to be from Treasury. It has to be from the president. And it has to be within the next 24 hours. Well, our eyes will be peeled, Jim. Obviously, Dow's hanging on to an 18-point gain. Let's get to Bob Bassani this morning. Good morning, Bob. Bouncing between positive and negative. Bowling's a problem down about 9%. That's uh, about 80 points uh, on the Dow. Let's just take a look uh, at the uh, sectors right now here. Uh, we, consumer staples have been up all morning, so a defensive tone. Banks were up, now down. Healthcare has been up all morning. Energy's been flat. So you see the banks deteriorating a bit, even since uh, the open here. If you look at some of the Dow movers, uh, Boeing not here, but Boeing's down about 9%. Dowing, bouncing, Walmart got an upgrade over there at Oppenheimer, Pfizer, uh, defensive C. Uh, banks, uh, fractionally up, this was up a lot more at the open. McDonald's, of course, they've been announcing that a large part of their restaurants are essentially doing drive-through delivery uh, and takeaway only here. If you take a look at what we've been doing here, we know what's going on. Speaking of McDonald's, the full-service restaurants, what's been going on uh, quite uh, a horrible situation. This is just in one month. Uh, but we have been emphasizing consumer stocks that have been rallying rather noticeably. Kroger, uh, Clorox, Campbell's Soup, for example. We put up the next full screen. You see those consumer stocks that have all been rallying rather notably here. Uh, uh, Kellogg uh, uh, is, is up 4%. I'm sorry about that. Rite Aid uh, is, uh, is, is down 4% on the, on the month. Uh, so most of these consumer names have been dramatically outperforming the overall declines in the market. Surprisingly, there's been a lot of upgrades in the last two days. I've been cataloging them. People have been coming out. Walmart upgraded Oppenheimer, calling it a place to hide. Pepsi upgraded over at Evercore on price declines. Procter & Glamble upgraded at Deutsche Bank, saying it's an attractive uh, defensive name. JD.com, a China stock, upgraded over at Bernstein, and they announced a $2 billion buyback program. A buyback program from a Chinese company, JD.com. That stock trading up uh, as well. If you take a look at the uh, fund manager survey, we had a discussion with that, and Carl mentioned uh, that. Recession odds at 50%. Uh, that's way up, obviously. Equity allocations uh, down 2%. Cash levels at 5.1%. The point about this, these are very high levels, but they are not quite at the 2008 extremes. N- not quite yet. These are all elevated, particularly this recession. It went up to 80% recession odds in 2008. Obviously, that, in fact, happened. So keep an eye on that. Finally, just is there any sense of maybe this volatility will ease a bit? Well, I'm a little hopeful about the quadruple witching expiration. It is this Friday. This is that quarterly options expiration, quarterly expiration of stock index futures and options and individual stock futures and options. It's four things here. It's the third Friday. And there is a lot of money that's rolling over at this point. And the question is whether or not this will ease some of the volatility. I can't make a guarantee about it, but I can tell you this. The cost of buying protection, the cost of buying options, it's through the roof. Look at the VIX. Over here, the, these numbers, it is astronomical to buy protection now. And so maybe some people will decide it's not worth it to spend so much money on options at this point. Uh, that might tamp down some of the volatility. It's just, Carl, a little way of saying maybe, maybe some of this volatility will drop a bit in the next few days. Who knows? Back to you. We'll see. Let's check in with uh, Rick Santelli this morning as well as Rick. We're seeing stories on Reuters, again, citing sources that the Fed will reintroduce uh, the commercial paper funding facility as soon as today. We'll wait for word. 
Yeah, you know, I, I have no problem with these special facilities. I thought that was, uh, in the past, a big success with regard to the credit crisis. What I, of course, always have had a problem with is just blindlessly writing checks. You have to have plans. And uh, whether I listen to Jim or David, they definitely have good plans. And ultimately, the money hopefully will catch up with the strategic insertion of them where needed most. Let's look at the yield curve, shall we? Uh, Two-year no yields, well, they're basically unchanged. They haven't really moved much. Actually, now they're up a couple. If you look at five-year, they're up three. Look at 10-year, we're up eight. Look at 30-year bonds, we're up nine. So, A, we're getting some curve steepening. Uh, B, we're distancing ourselves from some of those uh, intraday lows that we established. Look at a two-day of 10s. But on 10-year, especially yesterday, open the chart up to February, yesterday was the second lowest close ever for 10-year notes. And the issue here is we had 54, of course, was the low close on the 9th, Monday. The intraday low that day was historic at 31. And now yesterday's 72 was a low close. However, it is coming back a bit. Let's look at boon yields. They were as high as minus 37 earlier today. Look at this chart. Four sessions, they've gone from basically minus 80 to minus 40. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot as the spread continues to contract with U.S. 10s. You know, here's something we don't talk about enough. Commodities, emerging markets, uh, the default appetite for more dollars, all this is kind of the same picture. Let's look at the last time the CRB was this close to 130. I'll tell you when. About 1999, look at this. It is unbelievable how commodity prices have gone down. You know what's going on with energy, how hard it is to move various commodities. In the end, it's demand, it's supply, it's all of those. But it's especially difficult for some of these economies as the dollar continues to move higher in the combination with commodities. Let's look at a year to date of the dollar index. You realize it is just getting very close to that high you see on the left side there, which was a whisker shy of 100 well, open the chart. We haven't been to those levels since April of 2017. I'm telling you, the default of the dollar index is strong, and it isn't necessarily representing a good thing in that strength. We would like it to moderate a bit. And, of course, the demand, along with everything you're hearing, Carl, about various markets, I'm sympathetic to that. But does anybody really think out there that we should be looking for markets, especially in the fixed income space, to be trading normally when everything else is so abnormal? Back to Carl and Jim. All right, Rick, thank you for that. Uh, Rick Santelli, uh, faced with the unique challenges presented by the coronavirus pandemic, ServiceNow has just released four free emergency response apps to help their customers and governments navigate this crisis. Joining us this morning is ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott. Bill, it is always good to talk to you. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning, Carl. Thank you very much. You want to talk about what you announced this week? Yeah, Carl, we uh, announced four applications. Uh, Emergency response operations was the first big one. And I want to credit the state of Washington, the Department of Health, and Jennifer McNamara there did a great job building on top of the NOW platform a way in which they can deal with incidents and they can also take all the activities that they've done that require federal funding and immediately optimize that in a workflow. So they get things done, they also get things funded, and they execute beautifully. Today, that app is now an open-source app that we will make free all over the world to anyone that wants it. Um, The second app was an emergency outreach, so people can, in fact, be engaged in the workforce. We know where they are, we know how they're doing. 
Of course, self-reporting, if you've been exposed to the virus, is very important. That's another app and how you deal with the self-reporting rules in a workflow. And finally, the emergency exposure management. If you have been exposed and you need to be quarantined, we want to make sure you're safe. We also want to know who you've been around so we can make sure they're safe so business goes on and goes forward. So these are four applications, and I want to be clear, they are free. They are available on um, servicenow.com, and they are available whether you're a customer or you're not a customer. ServiceNow is all in on helping beat back this terrible, terrible virus. Bill, how much coordination uh, is there between you and the federal government, even, I mean, you mentioned Washington State, but state governments at large, and do you think that efforts like this from yourselves, from other members of corporate America, need some kind of national webbing um, or um, glue to have these responses be more broadly coordinated? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing we wanted to do was make sure everybody was safe in our company. So we've been working from home and enabling all digital operations, and we've encouraged our customers to do the same. That's the beauty of digitally transformed businesses. You can operate in a highly agile way at the speed of thought. Uh, Secondly, we really wanted to maneuver these best practices, such as the ones I've just announced today. Um, And that's really key because, you know, we can't keep score on what everyone else is doing. We have to take charge of what we're doing and make what we're doing available to everybody. And we're doing this at the federal, state, city, and local level. For example, just since last night when we launched these applications, I get a report out instantaneously of the number of downloads and the number of people moving on these apps. And they're literally in record, record numbers, Carl. And I expect that to continue. We are aligned with the federal government. We are working with many of the agencies and, of course, the states and local cities and municipalities. So... I feel that the outreach has been very good. I feel that our innovation has been very relevant, and we're really driving those best practices everywhere we possibly can. Bill, I, I, just for our benefit of our audience, people may not understand who you are in the sense that this is so you. Uh, you've got something that's really great. It's about public health, public service, and you make it free because that is Bill McDermott, and that's the Bill McDermott we know. Bill, I, I think the country needs your help here. Uh, when you ran your previous company, SAP, and when you're at ServiceNow, you're in touch with small, medium, large businesses, all the great leaders of our time, public, private, entertainment even, uh, at corporate. What would you do if you were the president? Well, I think the most important thing is to make sure that everybody is safe. Then you have to really take a public and private partnership approach to all of these operations. So we recognize that none of us is as smart as all of us, and the best ideas tend to come close to the ground. You have to get those ideas up top so you can scale them in a best practice orientation. So innovation, rewiring the splitting of the value chains that have gone on from 20th century technology and reorienting those value chains into workflows that are seamless, that are technology-driven, and that can scale across the world is incredibly important. So we got to run the country, but we also have to collaborate with other parts of the world. And finally, I would make sure, um, as president, that you have to have a clear purview on helping customers help their customers. You know, Jim, you'll remember well the financial crisis of 2008, 
and this too will pass. But the reason that passed is everybody got focused on doing their job and running their business because customers have businesses to run and they have to win in the marketplace. So I think that's the key. So I would make sure there's plenty of capital available so the wheels of capitalism go full speed ahead. Whatever has to be funded in the short run to make sure that we come out of this with a hockey stick in the end would be done and keep people relaxed and focused. There's no sense in being anxious and panicking because it's not going to help. So um, keep them focused on the prize. Uh, we're all in this together. But one last question. Would you invest in America right now? Absolutely. Um, the American dream is um, an unstoppable force. Uh, America is amazing in its resilience and its grit. And there's nothing like American innovation. Uh, there's no country that I'd invest more in than the United States of America, Jim. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. That's Bill McDermott, Chairman uh, CEO Thank of ServiceNow, which is a fabulous company that we all know uh, has helped so many companies just try to figure out how they're going to be able to do their business better. Now we know he's doing the same thing with the healthcare and public service. Uh, Carl, yep. I've got a special show tonight. I've got Sheryl uh, Sandberg, uh, which is. You know, here's a company that's stepping up $100 million. I'm going to try to get them to do another couple hundred million. That's one of the things that I – why not? Why the hell not? Why not just say, listen, Cheryl, that's good. How about $500 million? You but know what you should do, Jim? What? You should do – you know, yesterday was uh, the anniversary of Jerry Lewis's birthday. You should do a telethon in which you get American business to call in in real time and offer solutions, money, you name it. But it needs to be you. And I'll, I mean, I'll be there, obviously, to help. But you're, it's, you're in charge. As I touch my face like an idiot. It, yes. <laughs> yes, I would do that in a second. And uh, we all know that uh, business is the greatest source of social change. If we could do that, Carl, I'd, I'd be there. I would love to do it. Uh, I'm sure Cheryl Sandberg will stand up because what she's doing for 30,000 small businesses. How about how about Regeneron? Regeneron actually giving us some hope. And it's not false hope. The guys who conquered Ebola, they've obviously been around. Maybe they have maybe they have a clue of what to do. Uh, and I think that that's very it's not just. Uh, well, let's just say it's exciting. They're my main guests. And then, of course, I'll be <laughs> doing the telethon. I, I, you know, can I not wait till Labor Day? Can I do that one? On, exactly. Can I do that one on St. Patrick's Day, which we forgot? How do you forget St. Patrick's Day? Can we just remember that there's bigger I, things? I, I know, but the good thing is no one's going to pinch me. I know that. No one's going to get close enough to pinch me, Jim. Happy St. Patty's Day. Same to you. Uh, stay healthy. We'll see you tonight. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 